0: Good morning. It's Thursday, the 21st of December, and this is Gobindra Thiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Before we start, as always, our reminder, you can join this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube, among other streaming platforms at 6 a.m. weekdays in India. Our top stories and themes for the day. Stock markets crack, lose the maximum in a single session in nine months. Hundreds of ships are now diverting around Africa to avoid the Red Sea tensions as costs and logistics now come into focus. COVID-19 cases are now slowly rising, understanding its threat. And onion prices are bringing tears to countries across Asia after India's ban on exports.
1: This is a core report with Govindraj Raj Aithiraj.
0: The markets take another pause. If you were expecting the stock markets to keep running away, a reminder, they usually don't. As veterans always tell me, a market taking frequent pauses, breathers and breaks is better than going too high too soon. Anyway, the run on Dalal Street paused on Wednesday as the Sensex and Nifty clocked the biggest losses in a single session in over nine months after scaling record highs in early trade. The Nifty 50 dropped more than 400 points or 1.4% and settled down at 21,150, down 313 points. Earlier, it hit an all-time high of 21,593 points. The Sensex fell over 1,400 points from its lifetime high of 71,913 to end down 931 points at 70,506 all the 30 Sensex stocks and 46 of the 50 Nifty 50 stocks settled in the negative zones. The broader markets too clock their biggest one-day loss since October 2023, that's a couple of months ago, with the BAC mid-cap and small-cap indices falling. So the question, of course, is why? Several reasons are being offered, including, of course, the tensions in the Red Sea, which is now seriously threatening global trade and movement of crude, and I'll come to that shortly though it's more likely that the markets needed to, as we mentioned right at the outset, take deep breaths at any summit as they are right now. Elsewhere, the rupee ended flat at about 83 rupees 18 against the US dollar amidst their selling inequities and concerns over those oil supplies through the Red Sea. Speaking of the rupee, an interesting battle of words had erupted or has erupted between the International Monetary Fund, which has reclassified India's de facto exchange rate regime from floating to stabilized arrangement for the period from December 22 to October 23 after a recent review. The assessment, published in a country report on 19th December, was contested by India via its executive director at the IMF, who said that the characterization of India's exchange rate as a stabilized arrangement is incorrect and inconsistent with reality. So what's with this reaction? Well, If a country is said to be following a stabilized arrangement, it would mean that it is manipulating its exchange rate. And obviously, that's not something that sounds very positive. So the RBI or the Reserve Bank of India intervenes quite visibly to prevent sharp movements, as is evident from the way the rupee has been holding against the dollar or holding up against the dollar in recent months or more. But more importantly, the larger or the broader trajectory for the rupee is weak, going by forex experts we've been talking to over the last many months. So, of course, let's see where we land in coming days. And Red Sea tensions continue. The United States is putting together a task force to stop Houthi militants in Yemen from attacking commercial vehicles. But shipping companies are waiting for details and are worried about the implementation or execution of it. The Houthis are attacking ships to show support for Hamas in its war against Israel. And now many in the region are worrying that too forceful a response could only escalate violence, according to Bloomberg. Shipping lines have, however, now begun sending vessels around the Cape of Good Hope or the southern tip of Africa, as opposed to going through the shorter Red Sea and into Suez Canal route. Now, this adds at least about seven to nine days to journey time, as shipping experts have told us. Bloomberg is quoting logistics giant QN Plus Nagel to say that 103 container vessels are rerouting from the Red Sea around Africa oil prices have already edged higher in response to the rising uncertainty with Brent a shade over $80 now a barrel. The Red Sea carries about 14% of global maritime trade and more than 20% of containers passing through the Suez Canal carry goods from Asia to European and Mediterranean nations, according to logistics intelligence firm Project 44, quoted by Bloomberg. So the next round of concerns obviously center around What this increased shipping cost and delays will do to prices of products going from east to west. So the cost of sending a 40-foot container from Shanghai to Rotterdam, the seaport, has now jumped 44% from the end of October before the attacks began, and by more than 26% to Genoa, though they remain well below levels in 2021 and 2022, which was the massive post-pandemic surge, as data compiled by Bloomberg shows. As experts who spoke to the Corps have told us, the ships have to sail the long route as they have to take their goods to their destinations, and thus the additional cost cannot be wished away or negotiated with, in a manner of speaking. So the only option now is for ships to join convoys with military protection, not a desirable option, at least logistically speaking. Euronav Envich CEO Alexander Savaris told Bloomberg TV that it would slow down trade as they would have to wait for convoys to pass through. Euronav Envy has halted all shipments via the Red Sea and will not go back until such military escorts are in place. The Pentagon has apparently not detailed how this so-called Operation Prosperity Guardian will protect ships. AP moller Moller-Maersk CEO Vincent Clerc has said that it would take a few weeks for this task force to become operational. To understand the impact of the tensions in the Red Sea and movement of ships, particularly from an India point of view, I'm now joined by Dushyant Malani, Chairman of the Federation of Freight Forwarders Association of India, based in Mumbai.
2: This Houthi attacks which have impacted this movement of ships and a lot of these liners have decided to take a very precautionary measure, avoid the Suez Canal route. And if this spirals into a different kind of situation, in fact, this afternoon, we had one meeting with Logistic Department and Ministry of Commerce. We were trying to gauge what will be the impact on the Indian logistics scenario to the Indian foreign trade. News is that U.S. forces have already been deployed In that segment to protect the take the protection measures for ships and commercial cargo. Impact of this would be there to experience in next two to four working days now. Okay, two to four days rather. Not working day, two to four days. As of now, Indian cargo, which is being handled on specific liners like MERSC or Hapeg, they are to an extent in a state of uncertainty timelines would get extended voyage timing sailing time the cost factor also how it would be translated because ultimately we have seen that whatever any disruption which comes up ultimately the trade in india has to bear the cost of it we've seen post covid also whenever there was a disruption of congestion or the vessels being queued up outside uh near the port world over, it impacted industry by higher cost, higher freight cost. And that was the brunt which Indian importers and exporters had to deal with.
0: Right. At this point of time, are ships leaving from here and are they taking the roundabout route Africa or are they going towards Suez Canal? How is it sort of working operationally right now? So
2: as of now, only few shipping lines have taken that call. The rest of shipping lines are on wait and watch mode. We are interacting with CSLA, Mansa, who's another association in the sector. We would be updated about this in a day or two maximum. Surely we'll get back with full details because it is too, too fresh it's of fluid. a scenario.
0: And it's fluid. Too yeah. fluid
2: a lot of vulnerabilities are there in the situation builder. We'll come to know all the exporters. Who have time bound commitments have been, who had booked on say, Musk, have been told about that timeline. This is a kind of a, again, a force measure situation which is emerging now. So we'll come to know in a day or two, and then we would be able to uh, take a proper view on this that which route other shipping lines are also taking up, the overall impact, whether it is impacting in Cost factor, time factor—all those things would be summarized in next two, a couple of days. Sure. Or.
0: Right, and and last quick question. So at this point, you're saying that are goods piling up at the ports here in Mumbai or in India, or are goods still being loaded on?
2: Not yet. They are not getting. They are being loaded. The supply chain has not been disrupted Affected. so far. Not so far. We'll come to know about the other advisories which are issued by shipping line. As, as of now. Till at least afternoon today, till 3 p.m., there were no reports of any containers being not being picked up for a voyage.
0: Right. Dushan, thank you so much for joining me. Stand by. American oil is here. And now our energy segment supported by India Energy Week. So we've been referring off and on to rising U.S. production of oil or shale oil. So the background is that shale has been somewhat forgotten about, at least as a threat to major organization of petroleum exporting countries in the supply stakes. Remember, OPEC countries have been fiddling with supplies and cutting back some and threatening to cut back even more to keep prices high. While the Red Sea tensions, which we've been referring to quite a bit now, have caused a blip right now, US shale in general has kept the OPEC countries and the oil markets stable to soft. Bloomberg is reporting that drillers in America have ramped up oil production well beyond what analysts had been predicting, pushing output to a record, just as OPEC and its allies, as we've been saying, have been trying to reduce output. Now, this time last year, U.S. government forecasters had predicted domestic production that's in the United States would average about 12.5 million barrels a day during the current quarter. In recent days, that estimate has actually gone past the 13 million barrels a day mark. And the difference is actually equivalent to adding a whole new Venezuela to global supplies. The interesting story about shale is that drillers are now squeezing out more oil and drilling faster than ever before, thanks to new technologies and innovation. And productivity is up, though the number of wells being drilled are down. So the bottom line is, if there could be one, when it comes to energy, surprises can be sprung from old and new quarters. So with the result that oil prices may not necessarily shoot up in a hurry, the Red Sea tensions notwithstanding. The energy segment was supported by India Energy Week to take place on February 6th, 2024. Details are at www.IndiaEnergyWeek.com Tears in the eyes of Asian nations Elsewhere A story of goods who are not leaving their port of origin. India's ban on the export of onions has driven up prices of that vegetable for Asian buyers who are scrambling for cheaper alternatives, Reuters is reporting. India will mostly not ease up on this export ban until after the general elections in April-May next year. India sends almost half of all imports of onions by Asian countries. India banned export of onions on December 8th after domestic prices more than doubled in three months. Reuters says that shoppers from Kathmandu to Colombo are struggling with high prices since traditional Asian buyers such as Bangladesh, Malaysia and Nepal, and even the United Arab Emirates rely on imports from India to bridge domestic gaps. India exported a record 2.5 million tons of onions in the financial year ended March 31st, with some 670,000 tons going to neighbouring Bangladesh, who is the biggest buyer. Bangladesh, to overcome this shortage, is apparently now sourcing more from China, Egypt and Turkey. And prices there, that's in Bangladesh, have gone up more than 50% after India's ban. Like in rice, Nepal also has been affected by onions. Of course, back home, onion prices have eased and exporters would prefer that India return to the export market. India, of course, has now banned exports of rice, sugar, wheat and onions as it tries to keep prices low and of course contain food inflation, which has been running away. India to step up investments in roads and highways even further. The Ministry of Road Transport and Highways has pitched an extensive program aimed at building and expanding some 41,000 kilometres of national highways, including 15,000 kilometres of high-speed access-controlled corridors by 2031-32, or in about 10 years from now. All this is estimated to cost close to 20 lakh crore rupees, according to a report in the Times of India. Under the proposed master plan for highway development, the initial phase projects are scheduled for bidding in about four years' time, that's 28-29, with completion anticipated by 31-32. Once finalised, this initiative is poised to nearly double the average travel speed on the national highway network from the existing 47 kilometres to about 85 kilometres per hour. A comparison reveals that the current average travel speed on highways in the United States exceeds 100 kilometres per hour, while in China, it stands at about 90 kilometres per hour, according to that Times of India report. The government hopes, I guess, as we all do, that this increase in speed will contribute to reducing costs of logistics, To about 9 to 10% of GDP from the current 18%. There are only about 4,000 kilometers of high speed corridors in India, though this could rise in about four years' time to about 11,000 kilometers. Now, that's all good news, but it brings me to an important point. India has the worst road death rate in the world. Last year, some 168,000 people died on Indian roads, which was an increase over the previous year and the pre COVID figure, thanks to some 461,000 accidents. This gives India the distinction of the highest number of road crash deaths in the world, or it means about 19 deaths and 53 accidents per hour. Now, this is a gruesome figure indeed. Remember, accident numbers are not necessarily proportionate to number of vehicles because accidents often involve buses crashing into some stationary or moving object or just falling off into a gorge, often in the middle of the night. India needs roads and the best ones at that, but we also need drivers to learn how to drive, particularly on highways. We also need trauma support infrastructure so injured people can reach hospitals quickly in the golden hour, as it's called. But that will never be enough if we don't teach ourselves to drive safely and drive better and be mindful of other people's lives, if not ours. COVID-19 cases are rising. COVID-19 cases are rising across India with 614 new coronavirus infections in the past 24 hours, the Indian Express is reporting. According to the latest union ministry health data updated on Wednesday morning, India has now over 2,300 active cases with three deaths coming from Kerala alone. India's health minister has directed states to monitor emerging strains and this is the highest number of new cases detected since May 21. And this comes even as 20 of the 20 JN.1 subvariant, which have been detected in Goa, Kerala, and Maharashtra. Now, this is obviously a new strain of the old virus, if one can call it old. So, to understand more about the new strain of COVID 19, I reached out to infectious diseases expert and AIDS Society of India president, Dr. Ishwar Gilada. And I began by asking him what exactly was different in this strain. This is
1: called JN.2 which is a sub-variant of Omicron and it is sub-sub-variant of BA.2.86 and it has been prevalent in several countries, at least 38 countries and in Singapore in a very big way. But we have detected some 21 cases out of which 18 are from one cluster from Goa and one from Kerala and one from Karnataka. So what we know that this is a more infectious virus possibly than the previous sub-variants Secondly, it has an immune escape. That means, whatever immunity you acquired naturally through infection, previous infection or through vaccine, it can escape that. That's the reason people are a little bit worried. But WHO has categorically declared is only a variant of interest, not variant of concern. So initially they call it variant of a study or variant of surveillance, then variant of interest. And then if it shows that trajectory of the infection shows that it has more oxygen demand, more bed demand, more ICU demand, more ventilator demand, and more people are dying, then it becomes a variant of concern. So currently, it is not a variant of concern. Secondly, India has already had a big wave of BA.2, which was Omicron BA.2, and thereafter, it prevented BA.4 and 5 for a long time. And this is a BA.2.86. So therefore, it has not spread like a wildfire in India as of now. What is matter of concern for us? is that if it does spread, then what will be the effect? So what we need to do is, number one, we need to do a kind of a wastewater surveillance. This technique has been established almost 103 years back, first time it was used in Ireland to check whether uh, typhoid or enteric fever was widely spread in Ireland. So what they do is, they collect wastewater vegetable corporation anywhere, which is in the wastewater treatment plant and you just do a RT-PCR test in that wastewater. Suppose there is a colony of 2,000 people and you are collecting one sample and that sample shows positive. That means you know that something would happen in this colony in the next 10 days. That way, when we know wastewater surveillance in major cities, big cities, because initially COVID will spread in big cities, if at all. Then we will know in advance next 10 days, next 20 days. Secondly, the current vaccines which are used, which are readily available, they have an immune escape for this virus. So that means we need to make a new vaccine. And gladly that ICMR, Indian Council of Medical Research has already shared the all the variants which are available till today including JN.2 for the sake of making a new vaccine. So when the new vaccine is made, it will be a new vaccine which will be incorporating JN.2. And that's the reason that we are not worried. And India has been well prepared as compared to what we were 3 or 4 years before.
0: Right, and while this has an escape as you called it, the impact of this on health will not be as severe or what do we know right now?
1: We need to establish whether it is more infectious than the previous sun strains. And secondly, does it have a more morbidity and more mortality, which is not well established anywhere in the world. So out of 38 countries where it is present in a big number, it has not shown a lot of hospital demand and a lot of deaths. and therefore. But uh, despite 38 countries' presence of JN.2, for many, many months, WHO has not labelled this as a variant of concern. It
0: still remains variant of interest. Last question. So we are clearly seeing it spread now, which is, let's say, the middle of December. So does this mean that it has a tendency to spread in colder climate or this time of the year and maybe again die down later? Initially,
1: when it came, we were thinking that in the summer, it will not spread much as it is in cold. But all those series were rubbish. But what we know that during the cold season, during winter, we have other winter viruses which are very much prevalent. And they are currently H3N2 and H1N1. Both are influenza type A virus. And we have another virus which is much prevalent. It's called RSV, respiratory sensitive virus. So currently there is a diagnostic dilemma because the symptoms are similar in all the three. Whether it's COVID, whether it's RSV, whether it's influenza. And they are all upper respiratory attack infection. Is a running nose, headache, some kind of business, some kind of cough and sore throat. Beyond that there is nothing. And the problem with uh, influenza is a uh, vaccine preventable. But vaccine is expensive. A lot of people cannot afford that vaccine. Not even 5% population is vaccinated against influenza. Despite being vaccine preventable infection. And every year new strain comes. So currently we will watch whether it is influenza, whether it is RSV, whether it is COVID. In COVID, whether it is a point H- uh, two, and whether it is more infectious and more fatal than the previous strains. If it is not so, then it might spread a little bit more during the new year because a lot of people gather, they are in crowded places. So the current advisory should be only using masks in crowded places and reverse masking, that means masking by those people which are 60 and above and people with comorbidities so that they do not get infected.
0: Dr. Gilada, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. That's it from me. On that note, do take care of yourself and be careful, I guess, when you venture out, particularly in crowded spaces. Have a great day ahead. That was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected. With more of our coverage at The Core, you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at at in, and thank you once again for listening.